I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Hey there, it's Lars. Thanks for checking out the Lars Larson podcasting experience and have a fantastic day. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to Wednesday on the Radio Northwest Network. It is my pleasure to be with you all over Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. We at least endeavor. I say we, that's not just the editorial we. That is yours truly and three great producers who endeavor to deliver to this region honestly provocative talk. So how's this for provocative? I don't like taxes either. I know that none of you like taxes. Although, if I get a naysayer who says, I love paying taxes, you'll be, well, we'll be sure to put you right to the head of the line. But why in the world? And I'm going to go into some of the background of this for Oregon and Washington because they're two interesting case studies. This development today happens to be from the Evergreen State. Why in the world would a court, the job of the courts is to decide what's legal and what is constitutional, Why would a court that is currently trying to decide whether a brand new income tax for Washington state that is very clearly an income tax is unconstitutional, why would that court today tell the state of Washington, even though we haven't even decided if this tax is legal or constitutional, we're going to allow the state of Washington to go ahead and start collecting the tax anyway? Why would they do that? Well, let me get into that in just a moment. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers, as I say, always go to the head of the line. If you'd rather send me an email, some people are a bit shy, so they do it that way. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And naysayer emails are welcome as well. And then there's our Twitter poll. This one actually has to do with Oregon. 
Should Northwest politicians who got money from the FTX crypto scam, you know, the big $32 billion scam that collapsed, and now an awful lot of celebrities, but a whole bunch of average folks are left in the lurch by this. Billions and billions of dollars missing. And no, I don't have a dog in the fight. I was not invested in crypto or in FTX. So I don't have a bias, except that when people get ripped off and some of their money went to politicians here in the Northwest, and by that, I mean Democrat politicians like Tina Kotek, like the Democratic Party of Oregon that got half a million dollars from FTX, or at least from the guy behind FTX, Sam Bankman, now fried rather than freed, um, they got half a million dollars. And an awful lot of politicians around the rest of America have said, oh, we got some of that dirty money. A lot of people got cheated and ripped off. We're sending the money back right away. Even a guy I don't admire too much, uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke, you might know him better as Beto O'Rourke because he's tried to sound a little bit more ethnic than he really is. He gave the money back. He got money from FTX, gave it back. Democratic Party of Oregon with about a half a million dollars in its bank account right now after a big campaign and spending tons of money to cheat in the last election. The Democrat Party of Oregon says, yeah, we're, we're not quite sure yet whether or not we're going to give back half a million dollars when that's just about every single dime we've got in our bank account. Shame on them. I frame the question this way. Should Northwest politicians who got money from the FTX crypto scam give it back? I would answer that one, yes. You can answer it any way you like. You can say no if you want to be a naysayer. At Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, a lot of times when I'm trying to tear apart a kind of thorny issue, it helps me if I kind of break it down to the basics. So let's start with some givens. Anybody sensible understands that if you want any government services at the national level, national security, a military, at the local level, public safety, although we haven't been getting much of that lately, if you want any government services, it has to get paid for somehow. Taxes provide the most direct means of paying for it. I would be the first to say taxes are too high. I would often also say that oftentimes the taxes you do pay get spent very stupidly by the folks in government. I could go through most government budgets with a meat axe and you'd still end up with good government, government services you actually need and want, and your taxes would be a lot lower. But that may be a subject for another day. In the Pacific Northwest, we also know some of the specifics and peculiarities of at least two states, Oregon and Washington, about taxes and the attitudes toward them. Oregonians do not like sales taxes. Oregon doesn't necessarily love its income tax, but Oregonians hate sales taxes. In Washington state, they, uh, in a similar way, do not love their sales tax, but Washington state hates income taxes. Oregon voters have turned down sales taxes at the polls back when we used to go to the polls before we went to this fraudulent vote by mail nonsense. Nine different times the voters have been asked, would you like a sales tax in Oregon? Nine different times they have said no. Washington state voters have done about the same about the same number of times. So why would we get this word today from our friends at the Washington Policy Center about a brand new development involving a court case that's been going on for some time? The state Supreme Court has now granted the Attorney General and his request 
to allow the Department of Revenue of Washington State to start collecting the capital gains income tax before the court rules on whether the income tax is constitutional and legal. According to the court motion, the court voted unanimously in favor of the following result. I might add parenthetically, the fact that they were unanimous should not surprise you. Jay Inslee is a Democrat. Democrats have run the governor's office for a good long time. Almost every single judge on the Supreme Court has a personal connection by being appointed to the courts originally. Same kind of problem that Oregon suffers from. Governors appoint judges, then they run for re-election. The voters don't have much to say about it. But consider this. There's a congressional liaison for the IRS. And the folks at Washington Policy went to them and said, look, is this thing that Washington State calls an excise tax on property sales, is it an income tax or not? Well, they went to the folks who know taxes better than anyone else. IRS says, I concurred with our internal sources, looked into RCW 8287040, which reads the capital gains tax is an excise tax. Based on all the rules, they stipulated that state excise taxes are, number one, not deductible, But the IRS also said, this is in response to your inquiry about tax treatment of capital gains. You asked whether or not a tax on capital gains is considered an excise tax, as Washington State calls it, or an income tax. They say, and this is the IRS says, it is an income tax. So you've got a tax that is not constitutional. It is an income tax. It will start being collected, even though the court that has ordered its collection go ahead has not decided if the tax is even constitutional. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Glad to have your calls on this Wednesday. Always glad to have your input. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. The Northwest Nonsense is coming up next, and we'll talk about a room full of angry business owners confronting the mayor of the second biggest city in the Pacific Northwest, about the fact that he has let crime run wild, and many of those business owners are getting ready to pack up and move out of the region. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Portland Mayor Feckless Ted Wheeler faced down a room full of angry business owners yesterday. Wheeler's social science experiment, you know, the one that consists of defunding the police, encouraging homeless camps everywhere, crimes not being prosecuted. Well, that experiment has turned Portland into a toxic test tube. Mayor Feckless waited until the subjects of his experiment, I guess you could think of them as the lab rats to Ted Wheeler, residents and business owners found the place so poisonous that they're threatening to leave altogether. So yesterday, they put together what's called a listening session, where the mayor and some other folks sit there and listen as business owners talk about why their businesses are in such trouble. So he listened to the citizens list off the break-ins, the drug crimes, the assaults, even the explosions. For example, on one of the busiest shopping days of the year, just a few days ago, somebody took a car and drove it through the front of the rather iconic REI building in the fancy Pearl District so they could do a smash-and-grab robbery. 
It's actually gone to that point. And lots of smash and grabs where people run cars or trucks into buildings like convenience stores and then try to rip off the ATM. The mayor had to hear about the literally the human waste that people have to scrape off their shoes daily when they walk to work. Now comes phase two of Ted's experiment. Having tortured his subjects to the point of quitting, Mayor Feckless then makes the promise of a 90-day reset. Boy, that word gets overused these days. The question is, does anybody actually believe Ted's promises that things will get better by about, oh, I don't know, March of next year? How much better? Nobody really knows. What's it going to cost? Not, we don't know. Is it going to be more of the same? Probably. Because they ne- they always want to reinvent the wheel at City Hall, whether it's City Hall Portland or City Hall Seattle. What we do know is that the last two years have literally done tens of millions of dollars of damage to downtown Portland. People fear the dangers of venturing into formerly safe places in what they used to res- refer to as the Rose City. The best indicator of anybody's future behavior is his past behavior. And Ted Wheeler's past, as far as I'm concerned, nothing much to write home about. Now, if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll, and the Twitter poll has specifically to do with whether or not politicians who received money, in this case, the Democrat Party of Oregon, from the FTX crypto scam, should they have to give the money back? And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. The way has been paved by trademark paving. Just pave it. Serving Southwest Washington. Well, at this point, I'm going to give the daily grill to the Oregon Democrat Party. You know, the party of slavery. Because they will not say at this point, and I think they're trying to see if they can brazen it through and not return half a million dollars that the Oregon Democrat Party got uh, from the FTX crypto outfit and Sam Bankman-Fried. Our friends at Willamette Week reported this way, the November election is long over, but one item of business remains. A mysterious contribution from one of the top executives at FTX, the high-flying cryptocurrency exchange that recently declared bankruptcy after an old-fashioned run on the bank. The Oregonian, the fish wrapper, reported that the contribution to the Democrat Party of Oregon Political Action Committee, the largest in the PAC's history ever. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. 
was made in the name of a Las Vegas-based crypto startup called Prime Trust. But it actually came from Nishad Singh, who is director of engineering at FTX, and the DPO PAC did not correct the information until the fish wrapper called them out about it. In other words, they were trying to hide it, which is illegal. When Shamia Fagan, the Secretary of State, read about the error, she immediately requested that the Oregon Elections Division open an investigation. So what did they find out? Again, according to Alignment Week, $500,000 sent to the Democrat Party of Oregon PAC. The campaign cash is fungible, but DPO filing show had spent $2.69 million this year on Governor-elect Tina Kotek's campaign. That is more than half of the $4.5 million that the DPO spent this week or this year. Why it matters. Politicians often have to return or re-gift contributions when big contributors, well, people like Harvey Weinstein, fall into disgrace. Texas gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke returned the $1 million donation from FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried just four days before Election Day. And what does the Democrat Party of Oregon say? Yeah, they're, uh, they're dissembling. The issue is very important to us. We're aware of the situation and we're monitoring it closely. We have no other comments at this point. Notably, the DPO has $562,000 left in its account. So if they have to send back half a million, they're going to be pretty close to broke. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you always by the MEI Group, the largest heavy civil construction company in the Northwest. Currently hiring and paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators, TheMEIGroup.com. Lars, I was listening to your show today, and you were talking about Measure 110, legalization of hard drugs. This is from somebody who asked me to leave uh, his name off. You are correct. This is a garbage measure that has helped nobody. Uh, I'm in law enforcement, and for obvious reasons, I want to stay anonymous. The only things Measure 110 has done is create bad, bad case law and overdose and overdose deaths. Case law, unlike a measure, cannot be repealed. Measure 110 created two rulings, rulings that will forever hamper the war on drugs. Aurelio Bartello and McCarthy. They are easy to find and recent. As bad as it is, there are states in worse shape. I would hope and pray that 110 gets repealed. The damage has been done. To your calls now. Let's start with Robert. Robert, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind today? Hi, Lars. I just wanted to briefly go over my saga of trying to purchase a firearm here in Oregon recently. I have uh, my concealed carry permit in Oregon and Utah, but I was arrested in 1979 in a bar fight or disorderly conduct. Robert, I have to tell you something. We're going to run up against time, so I'm trying to give you fair warning. you got about a minute. Tell us what happened when you tried to buy a gun. Well, I was put on delay. I went down to the state police to see about it, and they said the only thing that would expedite that would be the record for Multnomah County. I brought that to them, and they said, oh, well, now we need the arrest record from Portland Police Department. So I called Portland Police Department. They were very helpful. The lady said, we cannot give that to you. We need the routing number from the state police. But she said, we don't keep records for that after 20 years. So I've taken that into the state police, and they just shrugged their hands like, well, you know, too bad. And that's basically what it is. Do they give a damn that you can't buy a gun? Robert, I'd say in the state of Oregon, while the voters are very much in favor of buying guns, and I can back that up, the people that are in charge, the folks who are running state government and local government, 
They don't give a damn. In fact, they would rather that you not be able to buy a gun. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk to our friends from Willamette Week. Here's the thing. The thieves want your expensive catalytic converter, and they're willing to fence that stolen property thousands of miles away from the Northwest. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and emails. You might remember when a number of months ago we pointed out, uh, quite a few months ago, almost at the beginning of the year, uh, both the state of Oregon and the state of Washington had passed new laws that they promised would go after this growing problem of catalytic converter theft. And uh, the legislatures passed the laws. And then almost immediately, catalytic converter theft, I think in Washington state, went up 10,000%. And I thought, well... Uh, that law doesn't sound like it did much good. And maybe some of the reason for that can be found in the story done just recently by Willamette Week. And our friend Aaron Mesh, the news editor for Willie Week, joins me now. Aaron, welcome back. Great to be here. Uh, what I'm referring to is when state lawmakers say, I know, we're going to require that people put, uh, you know, say, some kind of serial number on a catalytic converter, which they don't normally have. Or we're going to crack down on uh, places that recycle metal here in the Northwest, because that's the only place the laws apply uh, to laws passed in Olympia and Salem, none of that's going to do any good if they're selling the catalytic converters in Jersey, is it? Right. So this is a story about organized crime. It has a it has an enjoyably Sopranos-like quality to it, actually. Uh, but it manages to involve a former Uber driver from Lake Oswego. So... As you pointed out, the, the, the nuisance bordering on uh, crime spree that has, that has been bothering Portlanders for the last year has been, I think, made more irritating by the fact that, like, not only just about everybody I know lost a catalytic converter to thieves, but where the heck are the catalytic converters going has been the question, especially when, uh, when metal recyclers have been barred by, by state law from taking these, these items. And the answer is that they're going to Long Island, followed by New Jersey. Uh, it is a nationwide criminal conspiracy. Now, how do you crack down on that? When it, and, inf- and when it involves interstate commerce, I guess that becomes a, an FBI DOJ thing. If they can pry themselves loose from angry school board parents or, uh, you know, or pro-life protesters and, and find some time to go after some real crimes, uh, this sounds like something uh, like a case for the FBI, doesn't it? Homeland Security got involved. It was, the, it was a federal case. There are actually two different cases here. One of them, I mean, let me back up and say that, like, first of all, this is a story that couldn't have happened without some pretty great work from the Beaverton Police Department and the Washington County District Attorney. So they've spent a long time on uh, tracking this guy named Brennan Doyle, who was uh, operating out of a lake house on Oswego Lake in Lake Oswego, uh, and was using that lake house as a collection point for the catalytic converters that thieves across the Portland metro region were bringing through fences. So, you know, I think there's this general perception that, like, that skeezy, low-level guys are stealing these catalytic converters off the streets, people who are uh, pretty, pretty shabby-looking. And that's true. But the question is, like, who benefits above them? And the answer was, this guy in Lake Oswego did. And then from there, he had a fence named Adam Sharkey operating out of Long Island, who was taking, I think, as many as 44,000 catalytic converters off of, off of Oregon dealers and sending them to a metal recycler 
in New Jersey, which was melting them down. Uh, his name was Sharky? No, no kidding. Adam Sopranos. Oh, gosh. So, and, and, and frankly, you know, every once in a while, I, I, I'm not impressed by the crimes that criminals commit, but every once in a while they do something clever like that, saying, let's not go out and rent some, you know, hole in the wall in Lentz or in some sketch neighborhood where we're going to be spotted because everybody in the neighborhood is looking around saying, who's up to what? And no, we'll go to a really nice neighborhood and I assume unload all these catalytics in the garage of a a very large, fancy house. Who's going to suspect that a catalytic converter ring is located right there on Lake Ego? Well, I think part of it also is that the guys who are running this operation aren't your, uh, I wouldn't say they're your typical criminals. They they don't have... um, they don't have a long laundry list of criminal activity. They, they seem to have seen themselves as gearheads who were engaged in what they saw, and I'm not making excuses for them because no. this is a really bad crime. <laughs> but they saw it as a legitimate operation. They saw themselves as, as getting into the recycling business. They're, 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 and they were simply liberating these precious m- materials from the owners to, uh, what, in, in, increase insurance claims? How do you see yourself when you're stealing the recycling? They're fences, so they're not like out on the streets with the with the saws, crawling under your car and pulling out the catalytic converter. They're taking the materials and not asking any questions about where it came from. But of course they knew. Of course they knew. Will they go to prison? The, the ringleader could see twenty years in prison. Wow. <laughs> what are you in for? Catalytic converters. I just I can <laughs> see the conversation now. Uh, listen, it's not funny. You know, I'm just suggesting that the way that the judicial system handles things lately seems to be kind of funny uh, because they've made a joke of just about every part of criminal justice, including this. And what happens is somebody cuts off your catalytic converter. Your car may or may not be drivable. I assume it's sort of drivable. And then you've got to go file a claim. And if and if you don't, if you aren't fully insured, you may be out thousands of dollars to make your car drivable again. This is this is a terrible crime that is is crippling to some people financially. It, it, no, it's, inf- it's infuriating. Like, I, I try to keep my temper down in these conversations because I don't want to come across as, as some kind of lunatic. But it's, a, it's absolutely infuriating the degree to which crime on the streets of the Portland metro area has, has increased and the degree to which um, limousine liberals have, uh, have acted as if this doesn't matter and as if, like, the most important thing we can do is criminal justice reform to, to make sure that no one ever goes to jail. It's... It, exhausting because i i could see somebody not too many years down the road saying this poor man he's found jesus behind the bar you know the 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 jail cell bars and he's in for stealing car parts how can we lock a poor guy up for 20 years for stealing car parts i can just i mean heck they're they're doing it with you know with with hard drugs they're doing it with a lot of other things saying you can't lock a guy up for 20 years for this so uh, i kind of wonder how long these people actually end up staying although if it's a federal charge the feds tend to hang on to you pretty reliably. I think the maximum you get off is about 15% of your... I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. 
So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Your sentence. Any other major developments in this? And is the problem getting any better? I would say the problem is not getting that much better, although after these guys were arrested, uh, catalytic converter theft in the Portland metro region went down 27% in a month. So they were, they were, um, they were running a whole lot of metal through this Lake Oswego house. And when they got busted, it was, a, it was an immediate drop in the, in the catalytic converter theft rate. I suspect this is a case where, like, nature abhors a vacuum, and very soon there will be a new crime ring that is shipping these uh, some other uh, entrepreneurial sorts in Jersey or what, in some other place. One detail I wondered about when they first busted this ring, were they just taking a big box truck and loading up hundreds or thousands of these things and having somebody drive it there, or were they somehow yeah, shipping it them? It was, it was trucks. They were, they were shipping them in trucks. Wow. So they really had this thing dialed in. And I'm with you. I think that nature does abhor a a vacuum, like Niels Bohr said. And I have a feeling whoever was on sort of the fringes of that operation, maybe maybe some associates, would say, if these guys are going to jail, then it's time for us to step in and fill that marketplace need for uh, illicit recycling. Uh, Aaron, good job. That's Aaron Mesh, the uh, news editor at Willamette Week. You can find the story at wweek.com. Coming up in a moment... I want to ask you somewhat a rhetorical question. I don't expect it to be fixed anytime soon. But you might want to be aware that states, including Oregon and Washington, have turned over control and possession of their entire voter databases to a private company, a private nonprofit company that actually leans to the left. So if you thought your voter registration was being held in Olympia or being held in Salem, you couldn't be more wrong. I'll give you the update, and I'll tell you about some of the states that have decided to jump out of the group that's known as Eric. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get to that uh, voter database I mentioned a moment ago, but as you might have heard yesterday, Oath Keepers, the head of Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, was convicted of seditious conspiracy in a case brought by the Biden DOJ. Well, now Merrick Garland, who is the very ethically compromised attorney general for Joe Biden, is speaking about that verdict. I want to jump into that for just a moment, if you don't mind. Dusty, could you do that? ensure the delivery of reliable, clean drinking water. In doing this work, the department's newly created Office of Environmental Justice will continue to play See, he was supposed to talk about Stuart Rhodes and the, uh, with the Oath Keepers uh, verdict, but apparently he's mentioning Jackson, Mississippi and clean water. So uh, we'll check on that and see what we can find out about what he might have said or is going to say about the... Uh, the guilty finding yesterday involving a Stuart Rhodes, the head of Oath Keepers, who was part of the January 6th riot that took place on Capitol Hill last year. Our Twitter poll today, should Northwest politicians who got money from the FTX crypto scam give it back? In case in point, the Democrat Party of Oregon, which received half a million dollars uh, from one of the top officials at FTX, the crypto agency or crypto organization that has now gone bankrupt and 
a spectacular multi-multi-billion dollar bankruptcy. And an awful lot of average folks who were invested in that got ripped off. I was not one of them, so I don't have a dog in the fight. But if those monies were given to politicians, and including Tina Kotek and the Democrat Party of Oregon, should they give the money back? So far, DPO has said, well, we're thinking about it. We're aware of it. We're monitoring it. I think what they're doing is dodging. They don't want to give the money back because if they do, the Democrat Party of Oregon has uh, not much of anything left in its bank account if it has to give back half a million, having spent millions of dollars on Tina Kotek's campaign for governor. Our Twitter poll can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Yesterday, I told you how Comcast Corporation up in Seattle, they have a building. Uh, the building is surrounded by a whole bunch of homeless tents involving drug-addicted squatters and ne'er-do-wells who are outside their building. And lately, they've been playing classical music to try to drive them away, and apparently it's been effective. And so I asked you whether or not private companies should use legal means like music to drive the homeless away. 94% of you agreed with me and said yes to that question. Only 6% of you said no. And then I want to ask you this. Uh, let me get to the Eric stuff. Eric is known as the Electronic Registration Information Center. It was formed about a decade ago, 2012, and ostensibly what it was supposed to do was keep track of voter registrations in a bunch of different states. It currently has about 30 states where ERIC, which is a non-governmental private organization originally formed using money from the George Soros Open Society. So it definitely has a leftward tilt to it. Well, just recently, Louisiana has pulled out of it. So has Alabama. Oregon and Washington are still in the ERIC database. And I want you to understand, it seems almost unbelievable to me that we can describe it this way. But the Electronic Registration Information Center, a private organization, is holding the voter information for Oregon and Washington. And you might think I'm saying they're holding a copy of it. No, they're holding the database. And actually, when Brett Simpson, who was running for Clark County Auditor, brought this uh, issue to my attention, he pointed out if the state of Oregon or the state of Washington, let's say somebody moves from one state to the other, and you say, well, of course, one state is going to remove that person from their voter rolls, and the other state will add that person to the voter rolls. If somebody dies, you're going to want to take them off the voter rolls. Well, the state of Oregon and the state of Washington don't control that. They literally have to ask ERIC, this organization, to take the person off the voter rolls. They don't, the states of Oregon and Washington and the counties within them do not control their own voter information. So if you're concerned about your privacy, about all the information that is contained in your voter registration, and you say, boy, I sure hope the state of Oregon, state of Washington, or whatever county you live in, I hope they're safeguarding that information. They're not in charge of the information. It's in the hands of a left-leaning organization, which, by the way, occasionally sends that what they do is they do demographic searches, and they find people who are old enough to be registered to vote but are not listed as registered to vote, and they effectively send an order to the state saying, you go hunt these people down and get them signed up to vote. Now, if you say, well, that's a good thing. 
listen, I want anybody who wants to be registered to vote to be able to register to vote. I want it to be easy to register to vote legally. I also want it to be hard to cheat. You literally have a private organization that has artificially restricted taking people off the voter rolls who should be removed from the voter rolls, and you have made it their job to tell the states, go out and get these people signed up to vote. So, for example, ERIC, this electronic registration system, found 17 million new voters for the 2020 election. Now, back in 2012, they only found about 6 million new voters, and they ordered the states put these people on the rolls. I want to ask you, should Oregon and Washington drop out of ERIC, the Electronic Registration Info Center, as Louisiana and Alabama have already done? I would like to see every state in America get out of this, take control of their voter databases, or explain to the public why their voter information should be in the hands of a partisan, left-leaning, private organization. You've got the Radio Northwest Network. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers always go first at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. And welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past now almost 23 years. It is a pleasure to be with you. And I was just watching as Corrine Jean-Pierre, the uh, press secretary and overall explainer for Joe Biden, who's constantly being called upon to explain something or actually refute something that the current uh, president of the United States has had to say. And it's just about a full-time job for her. But she said something I thought was really amazing today. She said, we see no signs of a recession going on. Now, all of this, despite the fact that we've got record high mortgage interest rates right now, still record high gasoline uh, costs right now, energy costs have gone through the roof, and the cost of borrowing to buy a house, uh, just below 7% right now, which is pretty punitive. And yet uh, Jean-Pierre sees no sign of a recession on the horizon. I'm not sure I agree with her on that, but I'm not an economist and she's not either. But I thought I'd talk real estate with our friend Nick Shivers. You can find him at nickshivers.com. But Nick, welcome back to the program, first of all. Always a pleasure to be here, good sir. Now that we got to the other side of the pandemic, although it sounds like they may be inventing new diseases and new variants coming up, but if we're in this position, are home prices going to get back somewhere closer to normal anytime soon? 
Well, Lars, what we've seen since June. Okay, so June was our peak value. Okay, and now in the last five months, according to Case Shiller, we've had price depreciation. So in the nationwide, we've seen about an eight percent price depreciation, and the in the Portland Metro, Clark County, uh, uh, Clark, and then uh, Polk and Marion, we're down five point four percent. So we're definitely seeing housing depreciation. The biggest thing, Lars, is the collapse in demand across the nation. We've seen the amount of transactions anywhere from 30% to 60% less year over year. So interest rates are having a a major effect. Well, and that's what I was thinking is this isn't so much the uh, now we're past the pandemic as it is when you jack the interest rates from around three points to it hit a high above seven, slightly above seven, and I think it's down now just below seven percentage points. When you knock 40 or 50% of the buyers out of the marketplace, you're going to have fewer homes being sold. That's just about guaranteed to bring prices down, although only 8% nationwide, and you said only about 5% in the Northwest? That is correct, and and here's the reason, okay? Understand, 25%, there's roughly about 140 million units of homes available on the market nationwide. 25% of all homeowners have a, that have a loan are below 3%. So one of the things that's keeping our inventory still historically low is, Lars, if you have a 3% interest rate, you're not selling unless you have to. So, so resale, we will not see a massive collapse in resale values where you're going to see issues, and you're already seeing it in Austin, Texas. A lot of new construction, they're down roughly about 16% in home values. And in that, in that new construction market, if you have properties, uh, a property that's around new construction, that's where we're going to see a, probably a pretty big hit in values. You know, it's funny because I have a friend of mine who does finance for a living, and he was explaining to me when the interest rate goes up, it effectively reduces the value of the house, not the price, but the value. Because if you say, because when you say, I'm going to buy a house, you have to take into account the cost of the house and the cost of the money you have to borrow. And the two of them go together. When one of them goes up, like interest rates, the other one is effectively forced to go down if you're going to try and sell apples to apples. Does that match up with your experience as well? Yeah, so let's, let's just kind of take in consideration at the start of the year, we had a 3% interest rate, okay? So let's just say you could have afforded a million-dollar house at 3%. Um, now you can afford a $700,000 house. That's a 30%, and I did a million dollars because it's easy math, Lars. Right, <laughs> uh, right. 30% deduction of what you can afford on a home, 30%. And with home values being as high as they are, even, so here's an example. We went down 5.4%. And since the pandemic, since 2019, March of 2019, in Oregon, we're up, we're still up 36.9% appreciation. And in Washington, up 53.6, even with the downturn since June. So that means that uh, that you still are seeing prices that are very, very high. 
And the amount of houses being built is not meeting demand right now and isn't likely to anytime soon. In fact, aren't those interest rates also going to retard the construction of new housing? Because it's not just the home buyer who pays interest. The person who's out there building houses has to borrow money in most cases. They, they usually can't, uh, you know, self-fund that. If somebody wants to b- build 10 houses at a cost of uh, three or $400,000 or five or $600,000 a piece, they've got to come up with $5 million. And their borrowing costs are higher too, aren't they? Yeah, the, we have, I have talked to some of my new construction buddies that do massive projects. And unless it's already started, unless it's already started, they, they're, they're, they've stopped. Now, the one thing is, in the, in the next 18 months, more new construction, because it's already been started, so they're going to finish that, will be hit, and this is nationwide numbers, right. uh, will be hitting the market over the next 18 months. So that is where, like I said before, that is where you're going to see big, and they're already doing it, Lars. I get emails all the time. You know, uh, you, you get seven years at 2% because they're trying to offer incentives because of that collapse in demand. Because people are right now are just not buying houses. But what you're telling me is about 18 months from now, when all that new construction has been finished, put on the market, and sold as quickly as they can, we're going to hit a big wall at that point unless they start doing a lot more projects between now and then. You're going to hit a, a supply wall at that point, aren't you? you? You will hit a supply wall after that new group of homes hit the market. And if, if the builders do not continue to build because of affordability with lending, you're absolutely right. When you, you, it's just the, the cost of labor, the cost of materials, and the cost of money right now, it's just not affordable. Factor that in with all the taxes that our friends at Multnomah County uh, put in. It's not, a, it, it's not a fun place to build in the, city of, uh, the county of Multnomah. No, and it sounds like when you hit that wall, then whatever's left on the marketplace that's still for sale, the prices are probably going to skyrocket even if the interest rates are high. And meantime, a whole bunch of people have been priced out of the marketplace altogether. That's Nick Shivers, our friend. He's a supporter of the program. You can find him at nickshivers.com. I'm glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at larslarson.com. In just a moment... I think we just witnessed the nationalization of America's railroads. I'll describe why and what the consequences are coming up next on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to get to that issue involving what I just, I think we just saw the nationalization of America's railroads. And if you say, yeah, Lars, we have a national system of railroads. No, I mean a railroad system that no longer belongs to private companies in effect. But let me get to that in a moment. We always put uh, promise to put naysayers first. And let me give you a little background. I'd actually put this up as a Twitter poll the other day. Uh, and I used the example of a 14-year-old in the Puget Sound area who was uh, charged with three armed robberies in less than an hour and was suspected of 30 other armed robberies at the ripe old age of 14. And I saw the media say, well, but we're not going to give the name of this child because we have to protect this child. Well, when the child sticks a gun in somebody's face, as this child did, and steals their money and puts their life at risk, 
I say when you commit that kind of crime, the public ought to know who you are, and the news media should not be yeah. part of a conspiracy to keep you in the dark. Well, that, that brought me naysayer Anthony, who's on the phone right now. Anthony, you know that we love naysayers on this program. Welcome. Thanks for calling. And what do you and I disagree about? Well, we uh, we do disagree about that point, Lars, and I'm glad to, uh, to have you uh, take my call. I do appreciate it. No problem. Does, so, what are we disagreeing about? You don't you you think we should protect the little darlings who are accused of armed robbery uh, because they're 14, but if they were 24, we'd be happy to tell the public their name. Well, I would actually say uh, nay on that part as well, due to the fact that you are innocent until proven guilty in the court of law, correct? So is the 24-year-old. Should we keep the 24-year-old name, uh, accused murderer, accused rapist, accused armed robber, secret until and unless he is he is convicted? And remember, everybody convicted has a right to appeal. And some of those appeals go mm-hmm. on for, de- for literally decades. Should we keep his name secret until all of his appeals are over? Because nine times out of ten, they're already in jail until they are proven innocent. In the no, not jail, nine right? times out of ten. If you haven't noticed lately, they're letting accused criminals, including some very serious criminals, out pending trial. So, no, they're not in custody. Unfortunately, Phil, nowadays, but in the past, they were. But what? How does it? How does it fit in with public safety to keep the community in the dark about the name of somebody who is suspected of committing a crime that put people's lives at risk? Because due to the fact we don't know both stories, for one, and it could be a mistaken identity for two. It it could be. But in the meantime, if somebody has been arrested and charged with putting a gun in somebody else's face, stealing their money, and all it would take is a twitch of the finger, and the victim in that robbery is dead. That's why armed robbery has a more serious penalty than unarmed robbery or even strong-arm robbery. Why keep the name of the 14-year-old secret when everybody who's above the age of 18 will have their name known to the public? Because in my uh, middle opinion is that 14-year-old may be in a lost period of time right now. Not quite. What does that mean, a lost period of time? What is a lost period of time? Well, basically, uh, say someone had to change their ways. That would mean that they're lost. Uh, once they're you, you mean they, just, they go out and do 33 armed robberies and then say, wow, I've just realized that I was doing bad things and I will f- amend my behavior. But in the meantime, they put at least 33 people in fear for their life, and that may weigh on those victims forever. And all it would have taken is a twitch, as I said, a twitch of the trigger finger, and that person is dead. And you say, but if the kid says, hey, I've been locked up for a couple of weeks and I feel really bad about having done that, that we say, oh, well, then go on your way. Nobody should know what you did. Is that what you're saying, really? At least until they're convicted, because remember the Kyle Rittenhouse? What about the 24-year-old who's innocent until proved guilty? Do you want to keep his name secret as well? Because uh, he was also, uh, 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 because Kyle Rittenhouse was uh, blasted, even though his case was proven. Kyle Rittenhouse's name was right out there in front of God and everybody, and he was found not guilty, and thank God he was. But, Anthony, interesting naysayer call. Now, let me tell you what I think we have just witnessed. If you hear about countries like Venezuela, years ago Venezuela had country uh, companies from other countries that would come in and they would developed the oil industry of Venezuela, which made it one of the richest countries on the planet. And they would pump the oil. They would uh, manage to ship the oil. Venezuela would get some of the profits, and so did the private company. And then Venezuela said, we're going to nationalize our oil industry. 
That means the country of Venezuela took control of the oil industry and essentially destroyed that country's wealth. It is now one of the poorest countries on the planet. You're lucky if you can buy gasoline or even toilet paper in that country. Well, guess what's happened in America? Uh, I, I tell people all the time I'm not a fan of labor unions. I don't want to be forced to be a member of a labor union. But if you want to belong to a labor union, my position for the last 25 years has been you're free to belong to the labor union. Now, what does your labor union do for you? Its primary job is to negotiate the terms of your employment for either hundreds of people or thousands of people or in some cases hundreds of thousands of people. There are about 12 unions that represent all the rail workers in America. And those unions have been saying, we may go on strike as soon as the 9th of December, which would be terribly destructive to America's economy. But the unions have a right to do that. They have been negotiating for a contract. Joe Biden made a big deal before the election that he'd gone in and got a tentative agreement. Well, guess what? Right after the election, that tentative agreement fell apart. And the unions were back to saying, we may go on strike on the 9th of December. And Joe Biden is anxious to get that taken care of. So what did he do? Well, he didn't do much of anything. He just told his fellow Democrats on Capitol Hill, I want you to pass a law that forces the deal on the labor union members and forces it as well on management. So Congress has just done that. They're passing the law right now. And they're saying, labor unions, you will take this deal. But then they're telling management, we're going to tell you that the thing the labor unions wanted, which was sick days, we're going to give your workers out of your pocket. So this is the Congress telling a private company, you will give these workers seven sick days. Now, whether you think they're right or wrong about that in asking for that, the fact is, this isn't union negotiation. This is the United States government taking control of private companies, not just a private company. They're taking control of the labor contract that affects all of the rail. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Actually, all of the rail workers in the United States of America, they're also taking control of the railroads, saying, we will decide for you what benefit you have to pay. And they're passing this in the form of a law. So I think we've just witnessed, whether we're aware of it or not, the nationalization of America's railroads, which is not a good thing as far as I'm concerned. And I know there are probably some rail labor union members out there who are saying, hey, look at this. We get the contract we want, plus we get the seven paid sick days that we were negotiating for, but we could ever, never actually get the unions to negotiate it until the U.S. Congress came in and said, we're going to simply force this deal 
on both management and, and labor. Before you get too happy about all of that, think about the implications. Because like Ronald Reagan liked to remind people, any government big enough to give you anything you want is also big enough and powerful enough to take everything you have. And if you're happy when the Congress tells the labor unions, you're going to get what you want, you get your seven paid sick days times hundreds of thousands of workers and management has to pay it. If you say, yay, we got what we wanted. Guess what happens when a future Congress says to the labor union members, you're going to take this contract whether you like it or not, and it benefits the management side of the equation. Think about that for a moment. You've got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. And if you want to join in the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers, you always go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to me, talk at LarsLarson.com. Those can be naysayer emails as well. Now, we've talked a lot about Hunter Biden. In fact, it seems that the wheels are coming off the bus if you consider the Biden crime family and some of its dealings, especially involving the smartest guy that Joe Biden knows. That's how he describes Hunter Biden, his businessman son, who has had all kinds of problems that even Elon Musk today has said Twitter made a big mistake and withheld information from the American public by silencing the story about Hunter Biden's notorious laptop computer and the information that was contained on it. But I wanted to talk to Natalie Winters, who's broken a really major story. Natalie's seen at the War Room and, and other places. Uh, she's an investigative reporter. And Natalie, we're, gl- we're glad to have you back. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell my audience what was found, as well as all the other juicy stuff that was on that laptop computer, um, that involves Hunter Biden, a financial platform, and illegal aliens? Sure. So there's a lot to unpack here, so I will go through it slowly. But essentially, we've unpacked, I would say, we've uncovered a company that basically allows the Biden family, specifically through the conduit known as Hunter Biden, um, to be profiting from illegal immigration into the United States. Um, The second angle and layer of the story is that the financial platform that Hunter Biden can be tied to in terms of the development and growth of it, but also profiting from it financially, could easily be exploited by people Uh, involved in the drug trafficking business, also human trafficking and sex trafficking. And the third angle of the story, uh, believe it or not, there is a third one, um, (laughs) is that this this banking platform known as ePlata really reflects, I think, the broader push by a lot of these globalist entities, specifically the World Economic Forum, we even saw it coming out of the G20, to push for this sort of digital online banking apparatus to become the norm. Um, But concerning the the first kind of angle of attack, the most, I would say, damning aspect of this story, um, the company known as ePlata, which was founded by Jeff Cooper, which anyone who's, you know, done any research into the Hunter Biden hard drive would know that this isn't a name that appears quite frequently. It's a longtime business partner of Hunter Biden. It's someone who knows Joe Biden. It's someone who's even flown on Air Force Two while Joe Biden was vice president to Mexico um, to actually try to get money on certain business deals alongside 
Hunter Biden. There are pictures of Jeff Cooper, Joe Biden, and Hunter Biden together. And if people recall um, a Daily Mail story from a few weeks ago about how there was yet another whistleblower linking Joe Biden to profiting off of a Latin American gambling scheme um, involving Hunter Biden, that was a Jeff Cooper company. So this is not just some marginal player. This is someone who is, you know, compromised by the Biden family through and through. No, um, but, but, but Natalie, Natalie, you've forgotten to mention yeah. my audience that by Joe Biden's account, he and his son never talked about business, not one single time in all the years uh, that they've been together as father and son and not in all the time that uh, Hunter Biden has flown on airplanes like Air Force Two. They've never talked business, right? See, I think people give Joe Biden too easy of a pass when they say he just, you know, continually makes gaffes and misspeaks. Um, I think he knows exactly what he's saying, but he just has to lie so much because it's such a convoluted web of business affairs and individuals. Um, so, no, it's it's preposterous. I mean, this is someone, Jeff Cooper, who just to, to link this all together. So this company, this digital banking platform, whose whole marketing campaign was predicated on the fact that you don't actually need to have a traditional bank account to use. It's basically, it can be used anonymously. And it's also partnered with the Mexican government, specifically for the payment of remittances, which is how how people, particularly uh, people of Mexico living in the United States, send money back to Mexico. This wanted to become like the ultimate destination for people to, to use to send remittances. Um, but what's so interesting on the Jeff Cooper front um, is that he founded the company. Um, he appointed a host of people to the board of directors. It's really like a, a greatest hits of companies that Joe, that Hunter Biden has been involved with in terms of BHR Partners, there's an, which is the Chinese investment fund uh, that he created while Joe Biden was vice president. You also have people who worked um, with some other Chinese energy companies that Hunter Biden was linked to. Um, and then you have a third individual, um, Miguel Aleman Magnani, which is someone who, again, for people who follow the hard drive story pretty closely, he's the son of a Mexican billionaire, um, that there are texts between Hunter Biden and this individual where he promises, or he, he's mad at, actually, the, the Mexican businessman, because he, he said that he did everything he wanted. He got him meetings in the White House. He let him meet Joe Biden. But it wasn't enough. One of their other deals had ostensibly fallen through. Um, but this is someone who is also funding this company, which also ended up getting basically an endorsement um, by a branch of the Mexican government to be used as an official platform for remittances, which, again, is a $150 billion business that is inextricably linked to, the, uh, to payments between Mexican immigrants, including illegal immigrants um, from the United well- States back into Mexico. And two other details that you put in your story. This is uh, Natalie Winters, who's with us. And Natalie's a great investigative reporter. It's not just the connection through Jeff Cooper being, well, he's one of Hunter's partners. Hunter owns a piece of E Plata, doesn't he? Exactly. So this is where now, you know, the, the raw documents, the primary source of the hard drive comes into play. So I unearthed emails where you can see one of Hunter Biden's business associates, Eric Schwerin, um, detailing the variety of companies that Hunter Biden held investments in as late as 2017. Um, And from continued uh, text messages that we had found, it seems that the investment did still continue even after that. Um, But what these emails showed 
was that Hunter Biden holds an 8.25% stake in ePlata, again, this digital banking platform company. Um, and to confirm that, uh, we also found wire transfers from ePlata into Hunter Biden's bank account um, for sums around $20,000 just for one month of either work or, you know, cutting off the top of remittance payments, you name it. So it's as bad as it is that there's the Joe Biden connection and the ties between people uh, who have just a, a horrible track record of, of leveraging the Biden family name, including Hunter, to either get deals or get arrangements with foreign governments. Uh, even if you put all that aside, uh, there is a direct financial benefit for the Biden family to increase legal and illegal immigration into the United States and to let cartels and human traffickers and sex traffickers run wild because they have essentially an anonymous baking platform um, that, that, again, if you if you read it, you only need an email or a phone number uh, to, to set up an account. They advertise the fact that you, you they're you know, open. It doesn't matter. You don't even need a bank account to use it. Um, which, again, for a family or an individual like Hunter Biden, uh, who, in the words of, you know, the congressional Republicans who want to investigate him, uh, has engaged in human and sex trafficking. Uh, it's very curious that he would be investing and owning stake in a company that is, I mean, I think a just a haven for the evil for, people for that he's aiding this. and abetting. I've got to wrap it up because we're close to a break. But, of course, the more people that use ePlata, the more profitable it'll be, which means if you let 5 million people come illegally into America, all of those are potential customers. And if Dad does that, that benefits his son's business. That is Natalie Winters. We're going to post the link to her story at LarsLarson.com. Back in a moment, 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism right here on the Radio Northwest Network, you're certainly welcome. And as you can hear, uh, naysayers do call in and we do put them to the head of the line. That's a promise that as of January will be 26 years and standing and we don't ever violate that. So you want to jump in is 866-439-5277. You can remember that is 866-HEY-LARS. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And this segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Now, our Twitter poll today, and this one takes a little explanation. Some of you have heard what I've said about it already. There is the FTX crypto scam, which I think at the end of the day, they're going to find that where Sam Bankman Freed, this young guy, I think he's now 30 years of age, who started the company in 2019, just three years ago, allegedly in January of this year, it was worth $32 billion. And he was giving away massive amounts of money. He was the second biggest donor to the Democrat Party nationally. But he also gave a lot of money to other places. Carrick Flynn is a uh, then and gone uh, candidate who was running for the Congress in Oregon, didn't go very far. Uh, and I didn't think it would because nobody had really heard of him. And after he spent the six million bucks that Sam Bankman Freed gave him from what now appears to be money stolen from the customers of FTX, because there are a whole bunch of customers of FTX who put money into that cryptocurrency, were made promises, and then Sam Bankman-Fried 
treated their money like his own personal bank account. And a lot of it is just flat gone. So he gave about $40 million to the Democrat National Party. He also gave half a million dollars to the Democrat Party of Oregon. Now, guess what? An awful lot of politicians around America who got donations from FTX or Sam Bankman-Fried or other significant figures within that company, uh, the company that's now in bankruptcy for tens of millions of dollars, uh, they've already given the money back. Even uh, the ethically challenged Beto O'Rourke, otherwise known as Robert Francis O'Rourke of Texas, who lost his bid to be governor of that state, he even gave the money back. He gave back a few days after the election. But the Democrat Party of Oregon, which only has about a half a million dollars in the bank, they say we're monitoring the situation. They haven't decided whether to give back this dirty money or not. Now, I understand. I always tell you that if Democrats didn't have double standards, why they'd have no standards at all. But I think there ought to be a public hue and cry. And I think every news reporter in the Northwest should be asking the DPO, you took money. The money now appears to have been stolen from a bunch of people, many of whom are never going to get their money back. That bankruptcy is not likely to produce 100 cents on the dollar for people who had put money into, into uh, FTX. So are you going to give the dirty money back? And if their complaint is, well, but we spent so much money on Tina Kotek's uh, campaign for governor, that the DPO is down to a, just above a half a million dollars in the bank. And if we give a half a million dollars of dirty money back, hey, the Democrats are no strangers to dirty money. They don't want to give the money back. And I think what they're hoping is that the rest of us will just forget about it, that in a week or 10 days, people will move on to some other news story and we'll forget all about the Democrat Party of Oregon and the half million dollars of apparently stolen cash that they have in their bank that they haven't yet decided whether to give back. Well, it's the 30th of November. Even a guy like uh, Beto O'Rourke gave back the rather large donation that he got from FTX. He gave it back just a few days after the election. And yet the Democrat Party of Oregon, I think they're trying to brazen it through, thinking if we avoid the subject long enough, people will just forget about it. So that's our Twitter poll. Should Northwest politicians who got money from the FTX crypto scam give it back so it can be returned to the people who actually own that money, I'd say yes, they should give it back. It's uh, Today's question is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. I want to add, and this is going to sound like a bizarre uh, question, robot police that are armed. And no, I'm not talking about the crazy campy movie called RoboCop and all the sequels. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors yesterday voted to approve a policy that officially allows police to arm human-controlled robots, so at least they're not autonomous, with explosives to kill or incapacitate people who are in extreme circumstances. The first thing that comes to my mind, because I've camped out on so many of these over the years, where somebody decides to hole up in a building, uh, and if they're in there without hostages, but they're going to sit in there for hours and hours, in some cases even days, and tell the police, don't come get me because I'll shoot you. You could use dogs. Uh, typically, they'll turn the power off, they'll turn the water off, and everything else. But San Francisco has now said, 
Robots will only be used as a deadly force option when risk of loss of life to members of the public or officers is imminent and outweighs any other force option available to SFPD. Should a police department, a civilian police department, be using a robot armed with explosives that could kill or incapacitate a human being? Should they be given that tool? You see, I have a tough time saying no to it as much as I might not trust the folks, the politicians who call the shots for the cops. If it's the choice of sending in a real live human being or sending in a piece of metal whose parts can be replaced, I'm going to go for the robot in that case in those extreme cases but it's going to be an interesting question we might even make it the twitter poll tomorrow you're listening to the radio northwest network oregon utility notification center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree building a fence or just making improvements around your farm or home click or call before you start your work to get the area marked then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities you owe it to yourself and your loved ones Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network, which is about to celebrate its 23rd year of service to the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. We try to deliver on that honestly provocative talk for the Pacific Northwest. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And one of the things that people became more aware of than they ever had been before, because of the pandemic, parents became aware of some of the crazy stuff that is pushed on their kids in government-run public schools. Things like sexual indoctrination, things like critical race theory. And a lot of parents said, we're not letting our kids be subject to that. And even some of the teachers within the system, they got caught occasionally uh, because kids were doing distance learning. And there were actually teachers saying, we, we can't let parents take a look at what we're teaching their kids because they'll object and they'll object loudly. Well, I've been a little disappointed, frankly, in the extent to which parents and taxpayers have objected to the political indoctrination, sexual indoctrination, and racial indoctrination. I thought there would be more of a groundswell, but an awful lot of parents have pulled their kids out of public schools. So, Lee Finna joins me now, director of the Center for Education at the Washington Policy Center, because there is a piece of good news. Now, Lee. I'm accused plenty of times by people saying, Lars, all you do is gripe about things. You don't offer solutions. Well, I try to offer <laughs> solutions sometimes by just saying this is not the way to do it. But can you tell my audience about the Richland Washington School District and what they've done about critical race theory, something that could be emulated by districts all over the Northwest if they wanted to? Absolutely. There is very good news coming out of Richland uh, and the Tri-Cities area in general, the Richmond School Board back you know, a few weeks ago voted four to one to pass Resolution 2360, a policy of the title Race, Culture, and the Curriculum. And that resolution, it makes it clear that they will not tolerate the, uh, racial discrimination against students and critical race theory teachings in their school district. It, the resolution includes the following provisions. No student shall be taught that their 
skin color determines their ability to succeed. No student shall be taught that their race determines their moral character. No student shall be taught that their race makes them responsible for past transgressions of their race. And no student shall be taught that their socioeconomic status or U.S. citizenship status makes them superior or inferior to others. And that is a tremendously positive uh, resolution reflecting the values of our nation, the foundation upon which our nation was born. So I'm very encouraged by that because I'm seeing a growing movement in uh, school districts across Washington to pass resolutions like this. And it's, it's, it's a reflection of, uh, you know, government by the people for the people, <laughs> because the, it's interesting to watch these school districts debate these resolutions. People come forward and, and discuss them in their communities, and they, they land upon these reasonable uh, conclusions that we shouldn't have critical race theory, racism, indoctrination of any kind in our schools. So, it's it's quite moving to listen to Lars. If you're, could I, if you're could, could I suggest for one thing? One night, leave. Could you take the actual yes. resolution they passed and post it at Washington Policy Center's website, WashingtonPolicy.org, so that other parents might be able to download it, print it out, take it to the next school board meeting, and say, "Hey, can we pass something like this?" Because I was impressed they didn't get caught up in the word trap, what I call the word trap, where you say we're going to ban mm-hmm. critical race theory. Well, what is that? Well, what they did instead was describe it generically, that when kids are taught uh, you're a child of color, therefore you probably aren't going to do very well because you're trapped in a, in a, in a racist system that benefits white, ki- you know, white people. Uh, and, and by yeah. extension, they're telling all the white kids in the classroom, you folks are in a game that's been rigged and has been rigged in your favor and against these other kids. They're just saying, don't teach that, no matter what you call it, don't teach that to the kids. And I think they did it in a very a nice, clean way in which they, they didn't get trapped in words or, or, or slogans or anything like that. They just said, don't teach kids that their skin color determines their ability, race determines your character, uh, that somehow you're responsible because you're white and bad people did things who were white 150 years ago. Stop all that stuff. Just teach the kids yeah. what's going on. Absolutely. Well, I can do that. I, this, the link in the blog that I posted yesterday uh, has a link to a story that includes that resolution. But I think your suggestion is a good one. I'll put up the entire uh, resolution because, because, of course, it answers, you know, there's this lie out there that uh, people that object to critical race theory indoctrination don't want the actual truth of our history to be taught. Well, there's language in this resolution that says we do want that that, that school district, Richmond School District, uh, directs this the teachers to teach our actual U.S. history. As, well, and, you know, and, and there's and nothing wrong with that because, Lee, you can teach kids. 150 years ago, there were people, 170 years ago, there were people in America held as slaves. And you should, in fact, teach them that most of those okay. people were people of color. Some of those people were Irish. And some of those people were other, you know, were other uh, from other places on the planet. Teach them all of that. But don't tell the little white kid or little white, you know, boy or girl, you are beneficiary of a racist system that was created in 1619 and you're still benefiting it from from it today at the expense of all the other kids in this classroom who are not white like you knock that stuff off oh it's a terrible thing psychologically manipulating young children how can the teachers do this i i just don't understand and and you know a child is very impressionable and and to teach them that we belong to racial tribes, which that's the, 
the foundation of our civilization is to get away from that. We came to the, we came to America to get away from the religious wars that, that divided and killed and enslaved people. I mean, for heaven's sakes, this is such a backward ideology. It's clearly intended to gain power for a radical sector in the in the schools, and they're gaining it. I mean, they're hiring people, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultants at a, at a hundred thousand dollars a clip. You know, this is so so it's it's not only a terrible way of teaching people how to think, uh, but it it will reduce uh, the time spent on getting basic uh, academic uh, skills in reading math and, and science, which the kids need for their future to succeed. So it's, it's degrading the academic quality of our schools as we speak. So there will be, I think, I think there will be, and it just takes time for people to believe that this is actually happening in the schools. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos. And then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. I just think this is a slow-moving well, thing. You know, if, if we'll you see. put If you put a list up of the districts that have already done it, and then say we're going to list this, the districts that voted it down and give, give the cockamamie reasons they offer up, and then say, take this to your school board and double dare them to vote on it. And if they voted down, we'll, we'll let people know which districts have decided to embrace critical race theory and embrace uh, racial discrimination yeah. and embrace condemning kids because of their white skin color at age six or seven. Yeah. We'll make sure everybody yeah. knows who's doing it. I think you could get a real groundswell going, not just in Washington state, but around the entire Pacific Northwest. That's Lee Finna, director of the Center for Education of the Washington Policy Center. Lee, it's always a pleasure. Coming up in a moment, the Democrats have picked a real winner to replace Nancy Pelosi as the House Democrat leader. I'll tell you a little bit about Hakeem Jeffries coming up next. You've got the Lars Larson Show. A cloud of illegitimacy that continues to hang over 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Now, those are the words of Representative Hakeem Jeffries, who is a member of the Democrat Party, Party of Slavery, since about 1829. And this is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to get to your phone calls and your emails in a moment. But I want to tell you something about Hakeem Jeffries. You see, House Democrats have now lost, thank God, Nancy Pelosi. She's no longer going to be the House Speaker because the Democrats don't control the House of Representatives. And she's going to step down from her leadership position. So instead, Hakeem Jeffries will be the Democrats leader in the House of Representatives. And of course, most of the news media coverage about this has said, well, he'll be the first black person to lead either party in the House. 
That isn't the important part about Hakeem Jeffries. They say it'll usher in a new generation of Democrat leadership because Nancy Pelosi is older than God and Hakeem Jeffries is only 52. So for the Congress, he's a relatively young guy. Now, what's important about Hakeem Jeffries is, first of all, if anybody, and that includes yours truly, questions the outcome of an election, we are called election deniers. And actually, I wear that title as a, a rather proud title uh, because I'm going to be skeptical about every single election, no matter who wins it or who loses it. But we're told by the major media that if you question an election like November 3rd, 2020, well, then you're an election denier. And yet you just heard Hakeem Jeffries talking about the 2016 election, saying a cloud hangs over 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. No, he wasn't talking about Joe Biden. He was talking about the election six years ago of Donald John Trump. Now, he is an election denier. I'll give you a little longer soundbite where he talks about the surge. Take a listen to this. And then using that in the midterm election to hurt Democrats. I think we have to continue to uh, govern responsibly. And again, we'll wait uh, for presidential action in this area. But we have a strong story to tell, and the Republicans have nothing but rhetoric. And often that rhetoric has no basis in reality. Again, Hakeem Jeffries. I'd also point out that Hakeem Jeffries is anti-U.S. energy. He doesn't want us to pump oil on American soil. He apparently doesn't have any problem with Joe Biden allowing American companies to go to a dictatorship like Venezuela and put money in the pockets of a dictator by pumping oil in Venezuela. But, oh, perish the thought, you can't pump oil in America. We need to buy it from thugs and dictators. And then when it comes to issues like inflation, listen to what the new leader of the Democrats in the House of Representatives has to say about inflation. Wages are up, and all of that was accomplished while reducing the deficit by more than $350 billion. Hold on. Wages are up. Now, we've gone through these numbers before. Average wage increases in America just above five percentage points. Average inflation increase just above eight percentage points, meaning that the price of stuff, the things that all of us need to live our daily lives, is up about 60% more than wages have gone up. That sound like a winning proposition or a losing proposition? And then, of course, you couldn't let a day go by without the new leader of the Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries, talking about the evil MAGA types. You know, people like me, the folks that want to make America great again. And, of course, those MAGA types who are representatives on Capitol Hill. Take a listen. The threat right now in this country to the American people are extreme MAGA Republicans. That's the threat. That's the problem. That's the crisis that we confront. Extreme MAGA Republicans. Why? They are extreme on reproductive freedom. Now, extreme on reproductive freedom. Let me point something out to you. If you take a look at the public opinion polls, and I've told you about this before, Americans are not in favor of abortion anytime as late as in pregnancy as you want. That is what the Democrats favor. In fact, the bill they introduced to try to codify abortion into federal law, the bill they introduced said no limits whatsoever. You can have an abortion right up to the last second before mom would give birth to that baby. There's nothing about you've got to stop 
after the heartbeat can be heard. You got to stop after 15 weeks. That would be the limit they put on in Mississippi, which is actually far more liberal than all of the limits in Western Europe, which the Democrats usually use as the litmus test of whether or not something is right or not. No, they call us, they call people like me, MAGAs, uh, they will say, you're extreme on reproductive freedom. Why? Because we want as few babies killed as possible? And the usual answer I hear is, well, but what about, uh, what about rape and incest and to save the life of the mother? Do you know the only state that actually gathers data on that? You'd think that if it's such a big issue that every state would gather data. Florida does it. On every single abortion, uh, they do a survey of the young woman who obtained the abortion, and they ask her what it was about. Was it about, uh, you know, a life-saving procedure? Was it about convenience because a baby would get in the way of your college plans or your relationship plans? You know what they find out? Just over 2.5% of all abortions are for rape, for incest, or to save the life of the mother. I've also told you that I've talked to a number of people, most notably Kathy Barnett, who ran for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania this year. She is the product of an incest case. And her mother did not decide, well, you know, this baby was created by an act of incest, an ugly criminal act against her mother when her mother was 11 years old. She had her child. And you know what happened? Kathy Barnett grew up to be a United uh, serve in the United States Army. Uh, she grew up to be a mom. She grew up to be a business owner. She grew up to be a wife. She grew up to be a candidate for the U.S. Senate. And if her mom had said, oh, this baby is evil because it came out of a really, really terrible thing, an act of incest, she would have destroyed that life. She decided not to do that. And by the way, Kathy Barnett is a person of color. And yet her family decided you don't punish the baby for what evil works were done by adults, even an evil act like incest. And then listen to Hakeem Jeffries on anti-Semitism. Today, the Daily Caller has reported that Congresswoman Tlaib uh, has a key fundraiser who's espoused anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Well, I'm not sure what the Daily uh, Caller has or has not said. I found those two uh, new freshman members to be thoughtful colleagues on a wide variety of issues. <laughs> yeah, thoughtful colleagues. Anybody who can describe Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar as thoughtful colleagues? No, they're pretty virulent anti-Semites. And that's just the bottom line if you look at what they have to say. So you've got a guy, if you take this as a message from the Democrat Party, they have chosen as their leader in the House of Representatives, Hakeem Jeffries, 52 years of age, somebody who is anti-energy from the U.S. He views pro-life Americans as a, quote, threat to this country and part of a cult. That's his word, not mine. He refuses to recognize any limits on abortion, and he routinely defends anti-Semitic Democrats in his own caucus. And he wants to abdicate any oversight responsibility, which is one of the responsibilities of Congress, over the Biden administration. And that's just part of Hakeem Jeffries. So consider what the Democrats are saying by saying this is the man who will lead us in the House of Representatives, and all they want you to focus on is the color of his skin and not, as Dr. King might have suggested, on the content of his character. 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Naysayers always go first on this show. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails, and I'll do that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk to our friend Tom Homan, who is the former acting director for ICE. That's Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. CBP guards the border and a number of miles inside of our, our American border. And then ICE is supposed to take care of the rest, although the big sanctuary cities of America get in the way of that. He's also the author most recently of the book Defend the Border and Save Lives, and he's at Heritage Foundation now. Hey, Tom, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. What should, let's start deal with 42 first, Title 42, uh, with, with the Biden administration saying they want to be clear of this and the courts have apparently signed off on this. What should we expect to see happen in the next months ahead? Well, it's not going to be good because like, more, more will come, more will enter legally because they know they're not going to be set back. You know, there's, there's some that actually held out. I mean, there was over a thousand just off El Paso just waiting for Title 42 to end. Uh, so there'll be more crossing, which means the border patrol will be even more overwhelmed. So that's more agents off the line. Right now they're at 70 to 80 percent off the line. So more agents be taken off the line. What does that result in? It results in more fentanyl getting away. Results in more gotaways. Results in you know in uh, you know those criminals and gang members who don't want to turn themselves in. No suspected terrorists who don't want to turn themselves in because they don't want to be fingerprinted. You know, there's a reason people don't turn themselves in the border patrol to process and be taken to the city of their choice on an airplane at, at, at taxpayer expense. There's a reason people don't want to turn themselves in and get fingerprinted, and I think we all know that is because they have a criminal history or, or they're, uh, they're, they're known as suspected danger. So we'll have more criminals, more gang members, Absolutely more drugs getting across. They're going to get into every city, town, and state in this nation. Do you see any prospect for a now Republican-controlled House of Representatives in January being able to make some changes in this through the only mechanism they've got available, I guess, is oversight, and the second method is to, to withhold funding. Do you think there's any prospect, any real prospect for that? I, I do. I met with over 100 of them up on the Hill. Uh, it's been a couple months now, and... And I think they need to impeach Mayorkas. I think they need to have oversight hearings. They need to subpoena the right people. They need to subpoena the right information. I will help them. There's several of us in the Trump administration who will help guide them where to find that information because we know where the bodies are buried. Subpoena information, get people in there under oath to testify. There's going to be a lot of damning information that's going to come out of this thing. And when it does, even some Democrats will be put in a tough position to have to impeach Mayorkas because, look, there's like, what is it, like 26 uh, Democratic senators up for re-election in, in 2024. And, you know, if, if they, have, they do the oversight hearings correctly and they educate the American people on what has been done on purpose to destroy, to destroy the security of the border, even Dems will be forced to vote. And, and, and the other thing is they got the power of the purse. If this administration continues to allow open borders and not do a single thing to slow the flow, then they all threaten to, to, you know, not fund DHS. If DHS ain't going to do the job, don't fund them. Shut it down. And people say, well, shutting the government down is pretty drastic, Tom. Well, 100,000 Americans dead from opioid is pretty drastic. 1,400 migrants dying on U.S. soil is pretty drastic. You know, the, the 114 suspected terrorists arrested trying to seek this country is pretty drastic. How bad does it have to get until we threaten to shut it down? 
Well, let me ask you this, too, because, Tom, I'm not a congressional expert, and, I, I, you know, you've had to do business up there a lot more than I have, but, you know, they've gone to this, we're going to have one gigantic budget for the entire government or for most of the government. If the Republicans said, we want to get back to traditional budgeting, then have a Homeland Security budget and pass it out of the House as a separate budget. Now, it can be in a, you can also have another budget that's for the Pentagon. Go back to the traditional way of doing it and say, we're, we're going to vote to change the funding for Homeland Security. And uh, we're going we're gonna to pull that out as a separate item. And I, w- I wouldn't be against them doing it with every single federal government. Have a vote on the Department of Education and the Department of Commerce and the Department of Energy and the rest of them. Some of them are very problematic. But if they did it as a separate budget, you don't have to shut the government down and say, go ahead, pass this budget for Homeland Security. But part of it is going to say you have to actually secure the border. That that would be a start, wouldn't it? You know, I, I, I never thought about that. But, yeah, I, I like, you know, that that would certainly hold these agencies accountable. And and I, 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 I think funding, you know, the departments piece by piece would actually not only have them more accountable, then you can track how that money is being spent. So yeah, I, I I think that'd be something to look at. Look at you know we're, we're coming up on a CR here, the end of the CR. Here's my concern, and I've told you know McCarthy and several others up there, do not pass the omnibus bill. Do not pass that because they've actually decreased ICE detention by 25. percent We're the biggest historical illegal immigration crisis this country's ever seen, and they want to they want to take 10,000 beds away from ICE. So, look, they need to look at the omnibus bill and make some changes to it. They cannot pass it the way it is. I know they're in a hurry to pass the budget, but they've got to look at that budget and make some common sense out of it. And border security needs to be a big part of that budget. Yeah, and, and Tom, all I'm asking for, I don't think there's a single company out there that would run things this way. Can you imagine the board of directors or the CEO of a big company like Boeing or Microsoft saying, well, here, boss, here's the whole budget. And he says, no, I've got some problems with these pieces. And he said, no, you have to pass the whole thing or you get none of it. Or, or a family that said, "Dad, you know, we only make the house payment this month if dad gets his new bass boat. No, no, you can, you can, de- you can decide on those things one at a time. And that's how anybody else who's sensible does it. No CEO of a company, no board of directors would sign off on a budget that says we, only, we, 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 we fund everything in it or none of it and the company shuts down. That's insane. And I think the Republicans could make that case, couldn't they? Yeah, they could. And I've been around, I was in the federal government 35 years ago, most time where they had to keep doing a CR, keep doing a CR, because they couldn't come to agreement. You're exactly right. They agreed on 80, 85% of the budget. It was that 15% that held the whole government up. It was the 15% sometimes that actually shut the government down. So it makes perfect sense to me. And, and getting back to that, like I said, would be you can track each agency and, and hold them accountable. And I think it makes sense. You, you no know, such as shutting the whole government down because 5% of it you can't agree on. By the way, I want to ask you, you may not have heard this already, but have you heard about this company called E Plata, which is a, uh, it's a financial, you know, a t- it's a tech, uh, you know, app for transferring money back and forth. It's got ties directly to Hunter Biden, who owns eight and a half percent of it, right, and a quarter percent of it. And apparently, it was signed off on, you know, in a deal with the Mexican government to make it easier for people to send remittances back and forth. And you say, well, who needs that? Well, anybody without a bank account. And you say, who in America doesn't have a bank account? Uh, somebody without real picture ID and somebody with a criminal record who can't get a bank account. So, in other words, illegal aliens. And we've got the president and his son implicated in the ownership of a company 
that does more business when more illegals come in. And that's another oversight here. We need to have that whole mess. And let me tell you something on the on the remittances to Mexico. Over $40 billion was sent to Mexico last year to money transfers, not a bank, yep. Western Union and Telegram. So, yeah, if, if you know if he's in that deep, he, he, no, he's lying his pockets pretty sharp because if he takes a percentage of $40 billion, that's a lot of damn money. And, again, it's, it's look, I, I, I've been in a leadership position. I haven't been the president, but I've been a director of agencies. And, and, and there are certain rules where you need to – you need to step away from things and and, 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 and and turn it over to somebody else for oversight because you have conflicts of interest. Yep. I think if Jim Jordan's swearing to do oversight in this thing, and I hope they do because I think they're going to find out Joe Biden is the big guy, like President Trump said he was during the, during the campaign. I think you're absolutely right. That's Tom Homan. He's written Defend the Border and Save Lives, former acting director for ICE Now at Heritage. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you and uh, glad to get to your phone calls. In fact, I want to get to some calls. We haven't had as many naysayers today as I might ordinarily expect, but let me tell you this first. This segment of the show is always brought to you by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. That's ValhallaTea.com. And our Twitter poll, should Northwest politicians who got money from the FTX crypto scam And I'm talking about the Democrat Party of Oregon, which received half a million dollars from this FTX crypto scan. Many politicians, including other Democrats, have already given the money back because you understand the people who were the victims of that scam were the customers of that company. Now, I'm not one of them, so I don't have a direct dog in the fight, but I think the money ought to go back to them. Half a million dollars of it is sitting in the Democrat Party of Oregon bank account. And when you ask them about it, as they've been asked, Uh, They don't talk to me, but they talk to other press. They say, well, we're still thinking about it. We're not quite sure. We're monitoring the situation. I know what they're doing. The sleazy Democrat Party of Oregon, now headed by Tina Kotek, spent about four and a half million dollars. I'm sorry, four and a half million on the election, about half or more than half of that on Tina Kotek. Tina Kotek could pick up the phone as the new incoming governor of Oregon from the Democrat Party and say, it is only right that we give that money back. If Tina Kotek will not ask that question, then shame on her. And if reporters will not put that question to Tina Kotek, then shame on them. And have we asked Tina Kotek to come on this program? Absolutely dozens of times. And has she ever agreed to do it? I mean, even Ted Wheeler, feckless Ted, came on the program last week. I would like to have any reporter who gets within shouting distance of Tina Kotek say, Governor-elect Kotek, Will you tell the Democrat Party of Oregon, since you are the titular leader of the Democrat Party in Oregon, will you tell them to hand the money back because there are innocent people out there who got ripped off and you folks are sitting on half a million dollars of their money? Will you tell your party to give it back? And if you won't, will you explain why you won't? Today's Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. I would be impressed if Tina Kotek picks up the phone and calls the Democrat Party and says, it is only right for us to give the money back. I will congratulate them tomorrow on the air. Let's go to Robbie. Hey, Robbie, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Yeah, I just wanted to bring up... uh 
the you mentioned earlier about the critical race theory, and you know, and here's the thing: I definitely hear the point. I'm kind of in the middle about the whole debate, uh, wow. primarily because on one, can you hear me? Yeah, I, I just said wow. I, I, I'm surprised you're in the middle, but go ahead. Let's let's hear your point. Well, well, sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess on one side, I, I definitely want to say it's like, yeah, you know, like, you know, you can't just go in there and tell kids uh, to make them feel. Uh, you know, you can't rile up their feelings about it, but there's a, a larger no, thing. No, no, stop, to, stop, Robbie. Like, that's it, we're not talking about riling up feelings. Do you think that a child who is white? Can I get my ba- point out? Well, not until I say this, because you're you're framing this as oh, you're just getting these kids excited. What they're telling kids is because you have white skin, you are the beneficiary of a racist system, and you bear some of the guilt for things that were done 150 years before you were born. That's what kids are being told. Right. I'm, I'm against that. Riley. Yeah, I'm against okay. trying to spread the guilt. I'm against okay. that. Okay, go for it. But the other thing is, though, is the reason why this is such a, a hot topic, though, is because when I was in high school, I never learned about the Tulsa massacre. Uh, that was only not even a century ago, and clearly there's a lot of black people Actually, still it was a little over a century because ago, of the amount of wealth counting. that they lost. I understand that, and and that was 120, 101 years ago. When Black Wall Street, saying, as, it, yeah, that's, as it was, yeah, that's like not even that's like not even a full three generations. I mean, I understand, but there are lots of generations, families. There are lots, of no, but there are lots of things that get left out of history because history. I'm still reading history, and I'm 63 years old, and I love history. So, so I, and I, I, knew, the, I learn stuff every is, week. So I think the pushback with this whole critical race theory is like, where do we get to the common ground, and we understand? that the Tulsa massacre is still affecting families today. Teach the history. But like teach, hold so. on. There's an easy way to resolve this, though, Robbie. You can teach okay. history and say this happened 101 years ago. About 800 people got wounded and, and about 100, almost 200 of them, seriously, when Black Wall Street in Tulsa how much, was, wealth, how much wealth was lost in that? A lot. A lot, but the bottom line do we, do is: Do we even know the figure? Do we know? Well, do we know Bobby, how much? Bobby, I'm sure somebody has estimated. But, I, but 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 you keep. Asking, I'm saying teach the history, but what you don't do is okay. tell the little white kid you bear some of the guilt from that, and you are a beneficiary of the historic sure. racism of America, right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that because I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's healthy. I agree with that, but at the same time, there's a lot of hidden history, which like. The book "People: The People's History of the United States" oh, by Zinn. That's a piece of garbage, and, and I'm telling you, Zinn, okay. well, Zinn I, is so I mean, full they, of garbage. They talk about, they his, talk his about eyes the are brown. Massacre. They talk just, about the well, massacre. You know, there are lots of books that include important points in history that are still garbage because of their political slant. I would not teach kids from Howard Zinn's books. I would teach them a history so of this country. So is that because of your political slant, Lars? Is no, that it's, it's because slant? I think Zinn, Zinn wants to paint, uh, like most liberals, Zinn wants to paint America. He's part of the hate America crowd. America is always bad. America is always evil. He's, the same, he's part of the same crowd of people who on September the 12th, 2001, said if we had a terrorist attack, we brought it on ourselves. And we are the guilty parties, even though we are the country that lost almost 3,000 lives. Lives, but we're guilty and we're the victims. That's Howard Zinn and company. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? 
Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.